You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Friday, so it's time for the weekly wrap. And this week, the weekly the week rather is wrapped by Anu Smith from Sky Blue Fund Managers in Somerset West. And this podcast is proudly brought to you in association with ShareNet.co.za. Anu, you've just come back from a marathon and selfless tour of of London, and I know that you did go to the River Cafe, but that was obviously business. It wasn't pleasure, and I know you went <laughs> to a couple of pubs, but you just have to do these things, even if you don't want to. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's part of the job. Um, you got to have some fun, I suppose, <laughs> uh, and combine it with, with the actual job. Otherwise, what's the point of working? If, if it's what's all about the, working, no play, I suppose. So, yeah. Precisely. Now, tell me, mm-hmm. before we get into what's been happening this week, which has been quite a lot in a, in a rather insidious way, I suppose, but more of that later on, was your trip successful, first of all, from a business point of view? And was it successful in terms of the reaction to South Africa from the people that you met? Yeah, look, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been to London quite a few times over the years, and, and uh, this is the first time that we've actually, everybody I've spoken to, South Africa just doesn't feature on the radar. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. on nobody is, is, is looking at South Africa, and nobody's considering South Africa, and there's very few people who holds, um, who's, who's got holdings in South Africa. Um, so I, I think you one, one, one can take that comment, in, in two ways, though. Um, the one is we're fairly safe at the tip of South Africa or at the tip of Africa, as opposed to some of the other players in the world, given what's going on, which we'll talk about later. Um, but then also, I think it's, it's, it, it is concerning because um, it tells you that people aren't really interested in South Africa. It doesn't seem like it. Um, and I don't think it's, it's got to do with the political situation or uncertainty. I think it's got more to do with with just the lack of growth and lack of opportunity in South Africa. So there's better places with with much better growth and much better opportunity um, in other parts of the emerging markets. Emerging markets as as, as a whole is actually uh, quite a few people see see them as being priced favorably and, and uh, having some good prospects going forward. But that doesn't include South Africa. So yes, um, somewhat alarming, but as I said, you know, given the current geopolitical uncertainty, it could actually work out in our favour to not be part of, of the world, so to speak, um, and to not have to, to play the geopolitical game. Um, because, I mean, there's clearly going to be winners and losers in this geopolitical game that's ongoing now. And uh, maybe it's worthwhile not being part of it, um, mm, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think in the long term it probably is better to be part of it, but maybe in the short term, yes. But it is disturbing because I've been speaking to people about the foreign outflows. And also I've seen some of the the price action. And the price action that I've seen recently in relatively thin conditions shows that at a certain time of day, the market starts to do something. And that tells me that people from overseas are either selling or buying. And mostly it's been it's been selling from the from the data that I've seen on you. And I just wonder if the foreign fund manager, the London based fund manager in emerging markets, or rather responsible for emerging markets, says South Africa isn't really not big enough in my life to for me to have a look at the JSC every single day. So I'm just going to get rid of it at any price. Do you get the? Do you get that feeling? And they might say, "Well, we'll have a, we'll keep an eye on it, and we'll have another look in six months' time." I, 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 I do think it's, it's it's exactly what is happening. Um, look, remember, uh, if, once you buy emerging markets emerging markets and um, frontier markets, and I suppose Africa is sort of in between emerging market and, and frontier markets. Yeah. Um, but once you, you buy those, 
you take on extra risk. Um, and and if if you don't think you're going to get the growth, you know, to make the risk worthwhile, then then you just don't buy it. Um, and I think that's exactly what's what's happening in, in South Africa's. Um, well, in the example of South Africa, is that people just don't don't see the the point in taking that that type of risk for very little growth prospects as it looks now. So yes, as as I said, you know, and I agree with you. In the long term, um, we would have to be part of it. It doesn't help you sort of cower in the corner in the long term, but in the short term, it could work in our favour. Um, but yes, we definitely. I mean, very few people I spoke to um, is, is either aware of what's happening in South Africa in terms of political, uh, you know, instability or change we're seeing. Yes. Um, but also, very few people is 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 aware of of even our economic growth and the stuff like SOE debt. Um, you know, that type of stuff, it just doesn't feature in, in their mind. So, which tells you that they're not even aware of South Africa, which again brings me back to the point that South Africa currently isn't on the radar, the radar of, of any of these guys. Um, and, and, and like I said, you know, you can't really blame them. Why would you invest in South Africa if you can invest in any, any other emerging market in the world? Um, it just doesn't make any sense. So, look, a lot of these offshore managers, we, we need to understand, they look at the fundamentals from a data point of view. So they start with data points to, as, a, as a starting point. So they would be looking at that debt to GDP, uh, you know, that type of, of number. And if you're not on the, on, on, towards the top of that ranking table in terms of valuation and debt to GDP and that type of, of metrics, um, you know, you, you just don't feature. And I think that's exactly what's happening to South Africa. And it's, it is, it is sad because, um, you know, South Africa used to have a very, very tight um, relationship with the UK and still have. I mean, there's lots of South Africans in the UK. Um, but when you speak to investment professionals, it doesn't seem as though that that's actually uh, bearing any fruit for us at, at this stage. So, in other words, the buy and the sell side, very different for you on your trip. Presumably, you're going there to forge relationships with London-based fund managers or financial mm -hmm. institutions, but you're not selling South Africa. You're actually more buying what they've got to offer. Yeah, in, in, in our case, it is that way around. Um, there is a slight, little bit of selling in, in the UK, but we don't really, that's not our market. Um, we do, the group has an office in the UK, which does selling in the UK. Um, but that's predominantly to expats. So that's uh, South Africans now staying in the UK or somewhere else in the, in the world. So, yes, we don't really go there to market our, our uh, investment or South Africa to the rest of the world. It's more a case of, of getting to know other fund managers and also just uh, getting the feeling for the mood. You know, I think that's very important. I know, and I'm, I'm a very, very big uh, I believe that, you know, there, there's no correlation and I don't have to believe it because there's proof of it. There's no, very little correlation between economic data and um, asset returns. So equity returns isn't related to economic data. Yes, that is very true. But you need to know the environment you're functioning in. So if it's in a low inflation, high growth, that's a very different um, prospect than, than sitting in a high inflation, low growth scenario. And that's where I think it becomes important. And that's what part of why we go to London is to go and uh, listen to other people 
um, and, and get their opinion as to not only where South Africa is, but, but where the world is currently and, and where the pockets of opportunity sits in the world. Um, and yes, I mean, the world is, 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 to be honest, a scary place currently, not only geopolitics, but even if you look at some of the economic data coming out. I mean, uh, there, there, was a, there was a great, one of the presentations um, was focused on macro, macroeconomics, so that's economic growth and that type of thing. And the guy was pointing out the possible or probability of inflation um, having a little bit of a spike in the U.S. in the second half of, of this year. So that would be from next month, month onwards towards the end of the year. Now, if that happens, that's got a dramatic effect on, on stuff like government bonds or treasuries, as they are called in the U.S., because of those probably would sell off. We've seen them strengthening quite a bit. Um, in the last month or two, um, but if if we were to see some inflation, I mean, then then you can't really see Treasury strengthening anymore. You might just see them sell off. So that's the type of thing we, we try and get out of these trips. Apart from meeting new fund managers and so forth, um, it's also just to get a feel for for the global economy. Yeah, indeed. All right, and well, that was your trip. I think the feature of the week for me, on a negative, on a negative standpoint, was the the JSE's volumes. I know it's school holidays. I know mm-hmm. it's it's winter in South Africa and people with mm-hmm. the money to do so go overseas and, and take their kids mm-hmm. to France where it's 45 degrees today. I think I'd rather be in Cape Town. Thank you very much. But I think the point is that we've been seeing 13, 14, 15 billion all week. And that's just not good yep. enough. And it, it is quite disturbing. And it may be just the time of year or it may say something about what you've just highlighted. The foreigners are just not participating as much as they used to. Yes, I, I think, I mean, you don't even have to look only at this week. If you look at the JSE results that came out earlier this week as well, clearly trading activity is dramatically down from what we've seen in, in the previous years. And I think it's got to do with foreign interest. Um, you know, we're, with, we're and people tend to forget this in a global context. South Africa is a fairly small market. We're not at all a big market. Um, and there's lots of, of local players in that market. But the foreigners adds to the activity and, and it adds to the trading. And I think we're missing out on that. Um, we, we saw a bit of a sell-off um, or a you know a foreign portfolio flows going out um, with the MECI re-weighting. Uh, when was that? Last week or the week before, I think. Week yeah. before. Um, and, 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 you know, we had this little flurry of, of, of activity or trading volumes coming through. But very little to speak of the market is extremely extremely quiet uh, it's just uh, it's almost uncanny for for us to see this um and it's clearly it might show you there's there's lots of money sitting on the sidelines waiting for stuff to clear to clear up and get better direction um yes but yeah i gotta say i think a lot of it's been driven by this lack of foreign interest in in south african um, assets at this stage Let's move overseas now and have a look at an indicator that is sometimes an inflation hedge and sometimes a fear hedge, and that is the gold price. The gold price has rocketed from below 1280 to at one stage 14... They've got even to 14.30, I think. But anyway, the semantics need not detain us. The fact is that it's really done very, very well indeed. It's had a little bit of a natural pullback. But the more and more smart people, or people that think they're smart or have made a lot of money and therefore they probably are smart, have been buying gold. And not just derivatives or ETFs, but physical gold. And it's become a trend. I know three people who are very, very wealthy indeed to take photographs of their vault in Geneva and say, look at my lovely gold. No one can take this away from me. 
Yeah, that that's that, uh, it is it is it's ironic. Well, not ironic, I suppose. It's telling that you would you would mention that because that's one of the themes that came out of the trip from London as well. There's a quite a few fund managers, and I'm talking big managers, um, who's who's actually looking at gold, and and this is this is not something we've seen for a very long time, and not looking at gold as in gold miners, but looking at the bullion itself. Now, yeah. remember, for an investor or a fund manager or even just a man in the street to invest in gold, you're not investing in, in an income stream. So remember, whilst you hold that bullion, um, however you buy it, uh, there's no income from it. So basically, you are just taking a bet on the asset price, on the price of bullion. And um, and, and it, it's it's actually it's telling how, how many of the fund managers and investors in, in, the, in a place like London, which is very connected to the rest of the world, is actually looking at bullion. And, and I think that that's probably what's driving the, the bullion price to an extent. But I do think it's, 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 it's this uncertainty, this global uncertainty. I mean, we've seen the Iran story. We've seen the China-US trade, uh, which is still not settled. We've now seen Mr. Trump, who's now you know, making some remarks about Russia during the G20. And, you know... <laughs> So, so this this whole geopolitical scenario is just um, it, it it creates a lot of uncertainty, and I think that's why bullion prices is up, and that's probably why people are looking at bullion. And apart from that, I do think there's quite a few investors who's now saying, but if the dollar keeps on weakening the way we've seen it, there might be inflation on the way, and if that happens, um, then I want to have a hedge against inflation, and gold has traditionally or historically been that hedge. Um, so, you know, I think those two is definitely the, the main drivers for the bullion price. And then what one shouldn't forget, the the gold price we look at is priced in dollars. So if the dollar weakens, then the gold price just by by mere fact, it, it just increases because the dollar is, is so weak. Yeah. So I think those three is probably just the, the biggest drivers of, of the bullion. Um, but I think the, the biggest in my mind currently is, is, is most probably that um, uncertainty. Donald Trump, yes, was smirking with Vladimir Putin about not involving himself in the US election. Uh, Donald Trump's tweets so far today have said the following. I am in Japan at the G20 representing our country with a capital C. Well, but I heard it was not a good day for Sleepy Joe, that's Joe Biden, or Crazy Bernie. One is exhausted, the other is nuts. So what's the big deal? This is the president of the United States of America saying, uh, saying this. Um, it says, and then he goes back to a previous theme of his, the stock market went up massively from the day I won the election all the way up to the day that I took office because of the enthusiasm for the fact that I was going to be president. That big stock market increase must be credited to me. If Hillary won, a big crash. And he goes on and on. And, you know, he also tweeted about the Indian tariffs on 28 goods from, uh, imported from the United States of America uh, that would be imposed. And he's meeting Mr. Modi tomorrow face to face. What do these people say to each other? After being publicly pilloried by Trump, what does Modi say to him? After Trump has been Mr. Tariff and he says he loves tariffs. So what's his problem? Yeah, look at that. It's, if I knew the answer, then I probably wouldn't be talking to you now. Yes. Um, yeah, look, this is just astonishing the way. And then what is even more astonishing is, is the way he's now turned uh, away from Make America Great Again to now it seems to be all about Trump. Now, remember, we are leading, we're getting closer and closer to election time. And um, clearly he's now 
slowly but surely getting the campaign back on track. And we'll see a lot of this probably happening and, and talking his own book and not so much making America great again. Um, but, you know, it's it's hard to... to it's, it's that uh, what comes first, the egg or the chicken type of argument, because is the stock market really up because of him or is the stock market up because of other factors being the, the stuff like fiscal, um, you know, the, the tax cuts and that type of thing. Well, that's him. Um, I mean, so he did initiate the tax cuts. I think a, quite a bit of the market rally has got to do with Trump's policies. But also there's the share buyback factor, which has been going on for many, many years. There's a lot of things, but I yep. think probably uh, 5 to 10% is due to, due to Mr. Trump's policies, even though they are very, very short term. Yeah, look, and I think it's, it's, it's worthwhile asking the question one should be asking, but this is not... It's probably not an investment question, I suppose, is, is uh, you know, who who came the most from from the policies? Is it really the American on, 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 on the street, you know, the normal guy on the street, or is it is it the big corporates? And at this stage, it looks as though the corporates fared far better than the guy on the street. Um, and, and then you've got, you know, that, that, there, there were two numbers out this week, um, U.S. Uh, uh, macroeconomic numbers, consumer confidence is, is, is down much lower than anticipated. Um, new home sales is also down. I think it was a five-month low or something. Um, so if, if you look at those numbers, it doesn't look as though it's that great for the plain American, but it definitely helped the stock market and definitely helped the corporate. So... One's got to ask, you know, if, if, you, if you really want to ask that question and you want to ask Mr. Mr. Trump a question, I suppose the question you should ask him is, so for who is this now working? Is this mm. working for, uh, you know, Joe Black or is it working for your friends in high places? Well, I mean, I suppose um, he'll say that as unemployment is at its lowest level for many decades and wages are mm -hmm. rising, they're not out of control and they're not maybe doing as well as some people might have expected, given full employment, he would say that everybody is benefiting. And he could probably make an argument if he had a brain. He'll get someone with a brain to explain that. And I think he could probably make a very good argument. Yeah, look, I, I, I fully agree. And I think there's that, that's why you, there is quite a few arguments, quite, quite a few articles talking to exactly that point. Um, but it is, I think, the the... The important part in that whole sentence um, is, is, and the previous sentence, is probably the short-termism of, of what he's doing. Yes. And I think what people are concerned about is more the longer term. What happens next? Um, and, and I think that's more the concern. And remember, a lot of the criticism isn't from the states itself. So it's not from the U.S. A lot of the criticism comes from outside the U.S., so it's a lot of the criticism is more towards um, global relationships and, and, you know, keeping the status quo globally than so much from a U.S. point of view. Um, yeah, so, but I think the, 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 the most important part of, of your comment is, is probably the short-termism of what he's doing, you know. And, and we've, we've spoken about this um, when we went into earnings season. We said, you know, this is the, the proof is in the pudding now. We did see that earnings season wasn't that great. Yes, it was better than expected, but remember, expectations was fairly low. So it's not as though earnings is, is at all-time highs. Um, and, uh, you know, as we go into the next earnings season, we'll have to see if those tax cuts is really now pulling through. And it, it didn't really pull through if you look at, at, at absolute numbers uh, in the previous earnings season. So it would be interesting to see what happens going forward. And I think 
you know, one's also got to remember that the Fed is now sort of forced in a corner because what, what do they now do? It's, it's, it's almost as though the market now believes they must cut. It's almost as though the market's now taken what their comments is as saying we're going to cut. Um, so, you know, if, if, it, if they don't cut, and there's been a couple of, of comments this week where they said um, they won't be as aggressive and as quickly out of the blocks to, to cut rates. Yes. So, talking a different language now to what the market, I think, is believing, and if they don't cut quickly or aggressively enough uh, to the market's expectation, we might see a bit of a, uh, you know, a sell-off in the market because I think a lot of the... the uh, the upside we've seen up until now is probably based on on, on, on interest rate cut from the Fed, um, given the, the weak economy, which is partly why people think they should be cutting. Um, so, yes, um, obviously, Mr. Trump would say they, they, they must cut. And I think that, that that's where the fun and games now starts, is, is what, what does the Fed do? Um, because they are now, I think, fairly... You know, painted into a corner because they they've made these comments and um, the market I think has sort of taken their own message from from the comments um, and now this week we've seen a different language. So what what's next? I think talking about the short term as well, what's happening in Osaka, Japan over the next forty eight hours is going to be incredibly important. The Financial mm-hmm. Times got an exclusive interview with Vladimir Putin and ahead of the Osaka conference G twenty conference, which is a sort of multilateralism and globalism is the theme of most of the leaders there. But you've got Putin saying this, liberalism has become obsolete. The Russian president in that article, it says here, trumpets growth of national populism, in other words, isolation. And so you've got Erdogan in Turkey, you've got Putin himself, you've got Trump who's a national populist, doesn't matter what anyone says. And you've also got various leaders in right-wing Europe because of the immigrant situation that has manifested itself tragically over the last few years, the rise of the right there. So that, that worries me. But also the President Xi and Trump meeting tomorrow is probably going to define the short-term nature of the markets. If there's, there's no deal, and, and, and let, me, let me just read you something else as well here from President Xi ahead of, ahead of this meeting with Trump. He says... China's G says rich countries are destroying the trade system. And when you say rich countries, you know who he means. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And also the India comments from Trump yesterday uh, adds fuel to the fire. I think he loves it. I think he loves doing this. I think he loves stirring it, as does Putin. Yeah, <laughs> they do. Yeah, from, from what you've just read and, and uh, previous comments that they do, you know, they, they, they sound very similar. And... Um, uh, you know, it, it's it's difficult because it's uh, you've got on the one hand you've got China, which obviously is trying to become the world's number one, um, but you've also got Russia, which supplies China with a lot of Chinese oil. Now remember, China doesn't have its own um, oil reserves, so it's very much dependent on, on on importing oil from from other players. Now you've got the U.S., which has got sanctions on Iran, which makes uh, Russia the biggest importer into China by default. Um, so you've got all this other stuff going on, which we don't really take into account. We just, you know, we, we look at the trade stuff, but there's a lot of other stuff further down that's also obviously part of these talks. So don't just sit down and talk about trade. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot more to it than that. Um, but yes, you've got you've, and that's the uh, that's a geopolitical uncertainty we're sitting with. You've got a world that's almost splitting in two. 
Uh, you know, we're always go, almost going back, and it's not nearly as bad, but we're almost go, going back to the Cold War type of scenario where you've got a world split into two and you've got two camps. Mm. And this is exactly happening again. You've got the, the one camp saying, no, it's got to be open. We need trade. We need open, fair, you know, multilateralism. And, and then you've got the others, the likes of the U.S. and Russia and so forth, saying, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. Um, we don't like that type of system. Um, they might not like it because they've lost out on it um, in, in, in the past. And I think that's more so the reason for them not liking it than not liking the actual system. It's just because it didn't work out for them. Um, and remember, you've got to put the UK in here as well. I mean, the, the, and it, it, it's not, I don't think it's only political leaders. It's also, you know, I don't know if you call it a social thing or a community thing, but if you look at the UK, I think they did a survey this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I just quickly uh, uh, just I didn't read the full article. I think they did a survey this week, and there's, if they had to do a referendum now on Brexit, there's more people they would actually vote to leave. Oh, so, that's yeah. disappointing. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it is, it's alarming the way the world is, is, is changing, if it is changing in that way. It does seem as though we're getting more and more protectionism and that type of scenario, more so than, than everybody working together in the globalized world. Um, hmm. And, and it, it would be interesting to see where we end up. You know, China <laughs> might, be the, might be the end winner in, the, in, the, in all of this because they're prepared to open their markets up and they've got huge, huge markets. And I think that's also partly why the U.S. is playing this game because they know we are number one, but China is, is number two and they're very, very fast closing in on us. Uh, so we need to do something to protect our bases, number one. Um, so, you know, that could be part of this whole... whole I think Mr. Trump is out of his depth when it comes to negotiating with China. He's very good with Mexico. I don't think he's going to be very good with China. I do think that they've got a <laughs> they've got a whole different agenda and they cannot be messed with like certain other countries can be. They cannot be bullied like certain other countries can be. I'm, I, I don't like China when it comes to its human rights and its environmental yeah. record, but on the other hand, you've got to admit that they, they do things that Mr. Trump uh, cannot do. They are very, very clever negotiators. Let's talk about positive things and tell us what you're buying at the moment. And I refer specifically to Platinum because this week we had a trading update from a company called Anglo-American Platinum Corporation mm-hmm. Limited, or AMS is the code, and it was a fantastic, fantastic update because of the yep. simple thing that the Platinum Group Metal Basket, in RAND terms, has gone ballistic recently, and mainly because of Palladium, but Platinum has, has, has contributed as well. Uh, and their headline earnings per share forecast to be, I think it was 80% higher. 80%, yeah. yeah. 80% and higher. Impala Platinum, I'm just looking at Impala Platinum now. It's 69 rand a share, let's call it. It was 16.50 or 17 yeah. back in October. Yeah, yeah. And this is a yeah. run that, although it's, it may need a pause, just seems as though it's going to keep on going and going and going. Yeah, look, I, I think one's got to be careful to... to uh, you know, extrapolate that into the future. But yes, I mean, it, and nobody wanted to buy it at, at, at the price of 16, whatever the low point was. I think it might have been less than 16, actually. Yes. And now everybody wants to buy it. You know, that's the typical market yeah. mentality. Um, and mm-hmm. it was just a few value managers who, who had a who had a rather big exposure to platinum. Um, but the mainstream guys didn't want to touch it. They said there's too many risks in it and the whole platinum story and the platinum market problems. And now all of a sudden we're sitting at these prices and now it seems as though platinum has got a revival. Everybody's not talking about it. 
Um, but if it's an 80% increase in revenue, then then I suppose you would talk about it. Mm. Um, but remember that that's in hindsight. So the question you've got to be asking yourself is what's going to happen going going, going forward because that 80% is now already in the price. Um, we've seen the increase in, in revenue and they've now publicized it. It's out in the open. So it's public public information now. So you've got to ask yourself what's going to happen in the next six months, one year from now. Now, it looks fairly different as we sit here today because the RAND is already down or uh, strengthened from a year ago, uh, 1480 about to back to 1416 as we talk now. Um, so that's a substantial different uh, difference, um, although the platinum price is up. So, you know, the, the platinum price is higher, but in RAND terms, it doesn't look as rosy as it, as it has looked over the last six months. So, mm. so I, th- I think one should just be careful to extrapolate this into the future, you know, and, and, and just make sure that, that you look at the actual numbers. Um, okay, so you're, 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 you're sounding a note of caution on the platinum stock. So let me get back to my original. I was trying to lead you into saying, yes, you love platinum, and Impala's going to 250 <laughs> or something, but clearly you didn't take the bait. So let's go back to the original question. What do you like at the moment, if anything at all? You don't have to like anything if you don't want to. Yeah, look, at it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a difficult question. It's one of the questions we are grappling with. Uh, That's why you charge such large fees. You have to answer these difficult questions. Off, yeah, you, so, off you go. Look, I'll, I'll be honest with you, in, in the very, very short term, um, and I mean, we're not day traders, so I'm talking short term, I'm talking about a month, two months out. Um, you know, cash is not a bad place to be. If, if inflation is, is around about 4.5, and I think that number is overstated, I think inflation is probably going to be much lower than 4.5 going forward. Um, but if, if inflation, let, let's just keep it at 4.5, and you can make 8% on cash, you're earning a 3.5%, uh, what's it, no, yeah, 3.5% real for taking no risk. So I'm not saying one should hold on to that forever. Definitely not. Cash is not the place to be for over a five-year, ten-year investment cycle. But in the short term, there is times for cash that it actually works in your favor. And the reason I'm saying that is, you know, the, the, there's a lot of stuff um, on the on the JSE that looks very, very cheap. But the problem is, like we've seen with a lot of the the, the, the companies on on the JSE, is you know the question you've got to ask yourself is. The thing you need to pay attention to is, is debt levels, um, and uh, anything with with any high gearing is being penalised hugely. I mean, we've seen it with ASP, and oh, you can you can name them. Um, anything that had a lot of debt on on the balance sheet has got a problem, and it's not so it's not so much the company's own fault. Well, you could you could could argue it's probably management shouldn't have taken that that, that amount of debt. But remember, it was in a different environment when they took on that debt. Debt was cheap. It still is cheap, most probably, but you had growth. Now you've got no growth with lots of debt, yes. and that becomes a problem. So, so if, if you want to start nibbling at, 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 at shares, um, then I, I, would, I would definitely look at companies that cash generative, but also companies with very healthy balance sheets. So there's three things I would look for, and it's the three things we look for uh, for our investors currently as well. Number one. Uh, high dividend yield. Dividends. Low yeah. mm. low debt, so a healthy balance sheet, yes. and then cash generative. You don't want to be buying something cash. that's not making positive cash flow. So, so uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm talking utopia, but there is some of those out there. 
Um, you just need to dig. Give us one. Just give us one because we're running out of time. Just give us one. Yeah, that so you, you would, you would, if I'm sitting down with you now and I said, listen, I just need one stock. I don't like a diversified portfolio. I'll put a stop loss in on this stock. Just give me the stock. What would it be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I, I think Mr. Price is, is a rather good example. Hmm. Um, Mr. Price is definitely cash, cash generative. It's got a fairly captive market. Um, and, and I think it's, it's got a, it's not a hugely high dividend yield, but it's a substantial dividend yield. And the balance sheet is definitely not overstretched. So I think that's the type of share you could look at. A discovery, yes and no, because they've got the bank. I would maybe wait a while to see how that plays out, because mm. I think that might be costly. And the dividend yield is not that great on discovery. Um, banks, they look interesting. But one's also going to take into consideration the, the economic environment we are in. Um, yes, if, if the Reserve Bank, if, if anybody could tell me that uh, somewhere six months down the line, the Reserve Bank will cut rates because inflation is lower, then I think banks is definitely worth um, having in your portfolio because they, those interest rate sensitive stocks would definitely have a little run if that happens. Because currently the market is not pricing in. It doesn't look as though the market is pricing in interest rate cut. Yes, the market is already pricing in, in lower inflation. If you look at break-even inflation, um, this is now a very really long-winded answer, but if, if you look at break-even inflation, so the difference between nominal bonds and, and inflation-linked bonds, which tells you more or less what the market's expecting from inflation, that's already down to 4.16, 4.12. depends on which maturity you look at. Um, so clearly, the bond market is already seeing lower inflation. The question is whether the Reserve Bank will be willing to act on that. Now, remember, in, in, in the last couple of months, they haven't done so. Last year, they didn't do it. In both of those instances, the reason was to protect the currency. Um, we've seen the currency selling off, even though they didn't do anything to interest rates. So is it really worthwhile trying to control the currency? With your I, think it's a, I think it's a blunt-edged sword, actually, exactly. in interest rate exactly. policy when it comes to the control of the South African rand. I really believe that there is a haphazard correlation between interest That's rates exactly and the, the rand. I'm trying to make. Mm. Uh, the monetary policy doesn't work in terms of controlling the currency. So in my opinion, you know, it's a futile exercise. You, 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 could, you could try and increase interest rates to control the currency or not do anything to with interest rates. But, you know, especially in an open, small economy like ourselves, whatever you do with interest rates is definitely not going to control the currency. If the people in mm. London wants to sell the rand, they'll sell it, exactly. regardless of what your interest rate policy is. So, yes, I think, you know, if the Reserve Bank, and I, it's like, again, getting back to politics, unfortunately, but I do think there's a lot of political pressure on the Reserve Bank currently. Um, and, and we've got very little to no economic growth, if not recessionary type of, of uh, circumstances in South Africa. Low inflation, they might just be forced to actually do a cut towards the end of the year. And I think that could be very good if you, if you have banks. Even, even local listed property, yes, they're in a tough uh, spot. Mm. Um, but We've seen a huge repricing. So, you know, where you used to pay seven um, on a dividend yield or a distribution yield, uh, some of those are now trading on a historic yield of 15 years. I know the distributions are probably going to go down, but even if they go down, if they are cut by 50%, you're still sitting, what's it, 9 to 10% distribution yield. And that's without the growth. Because remember, although they cut, you still get your distribution, and that's from a low base. So the next year, you might actually get an increase in distribution. So I think anything like that, with a, where you've got a clear 
almost a cash stream or income stream, I, I think that's a safe bet. If, okay. But then you need to believe that, that the Reserve Bank would actually act on lower inflation and, and very sluggish economic growth. Which is imponderable. So when I asked you for one stock with, with one minute, I didn't actually specify the time. I asked you for one stock, you've given me four stocks. And you've, <laughs> you've also given me one sex as well. But brilliant stuff. I can tell you're full of beans after your trip to London, rejuvenated despite the South African winter. Arnie Smith, thank you very much for your extended time this afternoon. That's uh, Arnie Smith from Sky Blue Fund Managers, and that was the weekly wrap. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za.